This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Sign up with my bookie and use our promo code GATERS to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Monday night edition here, co-host Will Miles. Find him at readandreaction.com on YouTube at readandreaction and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Well, I just uh, yesterday I, I begged for one of those dull moments. Saturday was a con- Saturday was supposed to be dull, uh, but we did not get that dull moment. Uh, I, yeah, there we go. I mean, as we said, there's never a dull moment, so I don't know why I expected a dull moment on Saturday. Uh, but there we go. Seventy fifty two Gators over Stanford, and uh, what was an unexpected uh, final score, unexpected performance uh, there from the Gators. But uh, hope you had a good weekend, man. Besides. Uh, Besides that game, I know I didn't hear a whole lot from you during the game and on and on Twitter Saturday. So uh, I think you know it was taken aback by what was happening on the field Saturday. It was a big win, Dave. I don't know what you're talking about. It was a big win, big stepping stone for the program. You know, things heading in the right direction. Um, no, I didn't write a pro. I didn't write a preview for Sanford for two reasons. One, I was being kind of lazy, but the other was that uh, you know there just wasn't a whole lot to preview about Sanford. The only question was um, who would show up, which was really sort of the only question for the South Carolina preview too. Was you know I don't know who's going to show up in this game, and we saw the same team, especially in the first half, show up against Sanford that showed up in that in the in the game against South Carolina and and that's disturbing obviously and you know you give up 42 points in the first half that's the most points that Florida's ever given up in a half um you give up 52 points overall that's the most points you've that an FCS opponent's ever gotten against an FBS opponent um that game was close that game was tight in the fourth quarter um it required the otherworldly performance from Emory Jones that we yeah. got, which I know is sort of the bright spot that Mullen was bringing up today, but it required that in order to get the win. And you, you and everybody knows, right, that a win over Sanford, even Damian Pierce afterwards, they were interviewing him in the post game press conference. They sort of asked him what he was thinking at halftime. He was just sort of like, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> It's like, yeah, that was all of our reactions. That's not supposed to happen. So, hey, it was a rough Saturday. Um, you know, the season, from the standpoint of, like, goals for the season and that sort of stuff, um, you know, we're, we're way past yeah. past that. At this point, it's, you know, what can Christian Robinson do as a new defensive coordinator? Is there any benefit to the change in offensive line coach? Has the team gelled together? And that's maybe the one positive I'd take from it, is it did sound like from Pierce's comments that the players got together and basically said, we're not going to let this happen. 
and came out and played much better in the second half. Now, whether that's something they can perpetuate into games against much more difficult opponents in Missouri and Florida State, and we wouldn't have called them more difficult opponents earlier this year, but based on the mm -hmm. way Florida's been playing, they're more difficult opponents. Whether they can perpetuate that forward, I think, is the thing that I'm sort of looking for in the next couple of weeks because there's been a leadership void on this team this year. You've been able to see it. When things start to go bad, they spiral, and they, and they just continue to spiral, and they can't seem to get out of it. And, you know, we saw that in the Georgia game specifically, but we saw it in the South Carolina game as well. Um, you know, and you even saw it in the first half against Samford where the offense kept being able to strike back and the defense just couldn't get off the field at all and just looked atrocious there in that first half. So hopefully um, some of that leadership, some of that spark that maybe came in at halftime that Pierce was talking about carries through. But, you know, I don't think a lot of Gator fans have a whole lot of hope for what's coming in the next couple of weeks with, you know, teams that are significantly better than Sanford, obviously, and significantly better than South Carolina, to be honest. And so it's, it's, it was a depressing Saturday and I didn't write anything afterwards because I didn't know what to say afterwards either. So, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a rough time to be a Gator fan right now, but we didn't lose to the FCS opponent which is more than we can say for the team out West. That is true. That is true. But it may not matter when we play in a couple of weeks. So we just <laughs> we got to see <laughs> if that translates at all in a couple of weeks when uh, Florida, Florida State match up. Uh, actually, that was announced. If you did miss it today, Florida, Florida State is a noon game on ESPN. Uh, that's the 27th, Will, I think, that Saturday. Is that what it was? Uh, whatever. Saturday after Thanksgiving. So it'll be yeah, Saturday yes, after Thanksgiving. Yeah, okay. Saturday at Thanksgiving, that has been announced. Still ESPN games, so still some notoriety there, uh, but it is a noon game uh, for Florida Florida State when F and the Seminoles come to the swamp in the, in the season finale. Who knows what will be riding on that game, but there's your, there, there you go. There's your story for now. It is a noon kickoff between Florida State and Florida. Plenty to get into. Will you talk leadership? We'll get into Dan Mullen's comments uh, today uh, on leadership and a lot of other things as well as he spoke to the media again today. Uh, lots to get into about kind of his mindset right now of being the head coach at the University of Florida. Uh, a lot of the expectations, why he's the right person to fix it. Uh, the leadership, the effort, the no quit. We'll get into all that as well. Um, and... Some of your tweets out there from today, as uh, as well, popular a lot of a lot of stuff going out there in the social media world. With of course, uh, with everything, I wanted to get both sides of the Dan Mullen debate out there. So we'll share some of your thoughts on this episode of Gators Breakdown uh, a, a, as well. So plenty, plenty to get into here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Before we move forward, been a while since the whole whole sponsor thing, but here we go. You can find. Gators Breakdown, news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown, or your favorite podcast podcast platform. A lot of you watching on YouTube right now, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. It really, really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Uh, well, let's, I want to go back a little bit. Uh, this was um, a debate, somewhat a debate uh, today or yesterday uh, as far as the performance Saturday. You gave a lot of your thoughts of uh, of what happened uh, this was something that went back and forth a bit does the change in defensive coordinator excuse the performance on saturday that was something that was uh going around a bit and 
if you listened to the podcast yesterday, I, no, there was no excuse for me because of who you were playing. Now, if you were playing South Carolina or Missouri, even even a lower tier SEC FBS opponent, okay, I'll give you somewhat of a pass. But will I mean the talent gap here? There's nobody on Sanford's roster right now. You'd probably take a couple guys, but you're you're not competing with those guys for anybody that's on your roster in the recruiting world. Uh, so you you you, you kind of you look at it that way, but you know. That game was, and especially for this Florida defense led by Christian Robinson, yes, there was a change. Yes, a transition probably isn't going to be as easy. I still stand by it should not have mattered, especially with what we got in Sanford running up and down the field uh, for a record-setting performance uh, versus the Gators. Yeah, I mean, so obviously I, I watched Mullen's press conference today. There were a bunch of NFL throws was was what I heard. Well, uh, you know, and you got to give Sanford credit for going up and down the field. I mean, and in some cases you do have to give him a little bit of credit for going up and down the field. But no, I mean, there's no excuse for that, right? I mean, there, there, it, just like there'd be no excuse the first game of the year when you come out and play a cupcake that, you know, you'd give up 52 points in, in one of those games. That's what this is, right? I mean, Florida paid half a million dollars to have Sanford come to Gainesville so they could kick their butt and sort of get some of their backups a lot of playing time. And neither one of those things happened, at least not until late in the fourth quarter. Now, Florida, I think, was the better team. I mean, you know, they won the yardage battle by almost 200 yards. So we're now, what, nine and one when it comes to winning the yardage battle. But, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, look, I mean, if you're going to make a change and you're responsible for making that change, you're responsible for putting a decent product out on the field. And that first half, it wasn't a decent product out on the field. And, you know, you can say, yeah, there's a change in coordinator, but we've been clamoring for months that there needs to be a change in coordinator. We thought there might be one, um, you know, when there was a bye week where you'd have two weeks to get the signals straight and that sort of stuff. Um, I did somebody tweeted. I can't remember. I can't remember who it was, but somebody tweeted in the first half after they scored the after Sanford scored the 42nd point that Grantham was apparently the duct tape holding this defense together, which I, which I thought was pretty funny. But nah, I mean, it looked putrid, right? I mean, broken coverages all over the place, same type of missed tackles. Um, it actually looked much more like the 2020 defense than it did yeah. some of the defense earlier this year. I mean, the defense put up a little bit of a fight earlier this year. It just sort of folded like a paper bag in the first half against Sanford. And, yeah, you know, I brought up too, it, was, it was a lot of, you know, the miscommunication big plays that, you know, you, you've seen a little bit. They, maybe, you know, one play versus South Carolina where the, where the one guy's open in the end zone uh, that they made a, you know, big funny about and put it out there on Twitter. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that you, you're right. You, you date back to, to last year and some of those issues that we saw versus Sanford on Saturday. Well, here's the deal, man. There's no excuse to give up 52 points to anybody. Was like a good point. You know, I mean, maybe that Alabama team last year, you could say, okay, that's a that's a um, you know transcendent type offense. They didn't get up fifty two points to Joe Burrow in twenty nineteen. That's, that's right? what I was saying yesterday. I was like, look, this is not twenty nineteen LSU. I don't care what changes you're making. <laughs> well, but that's the deal. You can't give up fifty two points to anybody. So if you're going to sit there and go, well, is it an acceptable defense? No, it wouldn't no. be an acceptable defense. Sanford has to be upset. They gave up seventy. I mean, they're probably sitting there going, if we only got one stop and they're almost right and that's that's depressing so yeah i mean i come out of this going i don't you know the the defense is way too talented to give up 52 points to a team like samford um 
you know, you you could say, are they talented enough to to be able to overcome deficiencies against LSU? You could say, are they talented enough to overcome deficiencies against um, Alabama? You could even say that against Kentucky because Kentucky is a pretty solid team, and if you don't show up ready to play, that's a team that can take advantage of you. But they shouldn't have to do anything other than roll the ball out and play too deep coverage to to beat a team like Stanford. So I'm not entirely sure what they were doing from a schematic standpoint because it seems like that's the kind of game where you'd go out, you'd simplify things, and you'd say, we're just going to let our athletes win. And the fact that they weren't yeah. able to simplify things enough to where the athletes could just go make plays is says more about the staff than it does about the players, I think. Good point there, Will. So the other big storyline um... – Coming out of that game, but also translating and and coming coming to a head this week. So just a week ago, Will, we were discussing a disappointing performance by Emory Jones up in South Carolina. Record setting bounce back uh, versus Sanford, as you said, a and as I said yesterday, a needed record day because if you don't get that record day, then Florida could very well lose this game. Um, but that record-setting bounce-back day versus Sanford for Emory Jones, and you know so much so, Will, that it was enough for Dan Mullen today to basically name Emory Jones starter for the Missouri game this week, even with Anthony Richardson 100%. And you know, I'll play the soundbite here, and it absolutely sounds like you know Dan Mullen is uh, more than content. Uh, with moving on with Emory Jones as the starting quarterback this week uh, versus Missouri. And, look, we know road games haven't been too kind to Emory Jones. Uh, we'll get into that, but here's Dan Mullen. He's healthy. He's, like, back 100% healthy right now. He's still up and down last week. Uh, excuse me, but he's 100%. I mean, as, as, as far as I know, at Monday at 1.30, so he's available to go play this week. But, I mean, Emory's been playing really well, so – I'm not going to say we might not have a quick package or something to get Anthony in there. Uh, I'm still putting a plan together, but and, and but hopefully he's fully available. So hopefully he's fully available, and sounds like he is right now, Will. Um, Mullen says Emory's playing really well. Okay, he is because he played Sanford. And as I said, just uh, a week ago, we were talking about a pretty bad performance up there in South Carolina. And look, the road performances have not been good. Emory Jones' biggest struggles have been on the road this year, Kentucky, LSU, South Carolina. And now you go to Missouri in a maybe a must-win game. And every game is desperation mode from here on out in some form or fashion here for this Gator team. Well, I'm surprised Dan Mullen come out and said it, Will. Um, it's just been kind of up in the air recently of who's going to be quarterback, who – who's going to start, who's going to play, when they're going to play. And, may, and Dan Mullen says, maybe we'll have a small package for, for Anthony Richardson. So rubbing you know, some of, you know, a lot of the fan base out there the wrong way. But it does look like as everything that is out there, all the hot seat talk, all those Dan Mullen, the right guy, two games left, two weeks, two games ago, a pretty bad performance by Emory. A great performance this past weekend. Dan Mullen says he's playing good and good enough to get the start heading into Missouri. Yeah, I mean, so if the story of 2021 is anything, it's that Dan Mullen clearly believes that Emory Jones is the guy to help him win football games. Um, you know, whether or not we believe that doesn't matter. That's what Dan Mullen believes. And I think one of the themes of the Florida football program right now, and I'm sure we'll get into more big picture issues as we go on tonight, is process, right? And and do I feel like a proper process is being 
is being followed when it comes to the decision making. And here's the deal. The rumblings that we're hearing, I mean, you had Pete Tamil and you had Pat Forty basically saying the Molinero was over um, after the game against Sanford this weekend. Those guys are pretty plugged in. And so if it's not over, then it then it depends on the next couple of games. And so if you're Dan Mullen and you believe that you need to win those next two games in order to get to where you need to be and get another year, then you're going to go with the guy who makes you most comfortable. And Emory Jones has been the guy who's made him the most comfortable all year, all year long. And the – you know, the, the little dig at the fans. Okay. He does that all the time. Um, the thing that concerns me more is it's almost a little bit of a dig at Anthony Richardson from the standpoint of, you know, he had the knee injury a couple of weeks ago and they sit there looking at his watch wondering whether, you know, well, as mm-hmm. of right now, he's still healthy. Yeah. I don't know. That's going to go over real well. And yeah, it's sort of a theme. Uh, I mean, yeah, basically. Okay. What are you going to do now to, to, to mess it up this week? Yeah, well, and it's a it's a theme from the standpoint of, you know, Chauncey Gardner Johnson didn't necessarily appreciate everything that the team said about him after he left into some of the NFL scouts. Ja'Kai Polite, there was sort of a rubbing of salt in the wounds after he got um, released when he got drafted by the Jets. It's, it's not the first time that Mullins sort of decided to, to twist that knife there. And, and, you know, it's not really necessary, but at the same time, I, I completely understand where he's coming from. He is incentivized to win the next two games. And mm-hmm. if he doesn't win the next two games, he's probably not the head coach here anymore. And if that's the way it's going to go down, then you're going to go down with the people that you trust and the people that you believe give you the best shot to win. And Emory Jones clearly has been that guy all year long. So whether you look at the South Carolina game and say, hey, it wasn't great, or whether you look at the Sanford game and go, oh, look at that. I mean, what a performance. I don't know really matters because you look at the total season – overall in totality and Dan Mullen has just said consistently to us over and over and over again that he believes Emory Jones is the right guy to get the job done again whether or not that's correct and whether or not we believe that doesn't really matter that's what Dan Mullen believes and when it comes down saving his job or when it comes down to winning these games he's going to put the guy he's most comfortable with in there and clearly that's Emory Jones but do we know for sure he feels that way I mean you go to LSU I mean you go to LSU you pull him then you start Richardson the next game. And the only, I mean, I'm assuming the only reason he doesn't start the next game is because he's got a concussion. Then he plays terrible versus South Carolina. I mean, is Mullen really putting a whole lot of weight versus the Sanford game this past weekend? I mean, I don't know. I think you got to look at the whole season. He was really resistant to put Richardson in there earlier in the year. And, yeah. you know, it took really sort of that pick six coming out of the locker room against LSU to make him make a change. And then at that point, he couldn't go back. There's, I mean, you lose your team if, if Richardson's driving you right up and down the field the whole second half. And you're like, eh, I'm going to go back to the starting quarterback who was struggling earlier. He almost had an opportunity. And I thought he might do it when, when Richardson out, went out with the hand injury and, and Jones had to make a couple of throws there. But and and then obviously the fan base is clamoring for for Anthony Richardson. He goes out. He doesn't play very well against Georgia. Plays pretty poorly against Georgia. And then you know it's one of those things where you go, if you're is that Dan Mullen then saying, see, <laughs> like you know, if you thought you were going to lose that Georgia game anyway, maybe that was an opportunity to sort of um, you know let people see. And and I mean, look, the reality was I think we I hope he's not Richardson, coaching that. Way. I hope he's not coaching that way. I mean, I hope not too, but you're the one who asked me the question about does he think no, I know, I know. I'm just is the best player to win. <laughs> he started every game except for the Georgia game. And so the 
fact that he's gone back to him as the starter at this point. And again, I think it sort of goes back to trust. I think, I think the dancing incident, it while seemingly minor and it's a college kid and all that sort of stuff goes back. And the comment today makes me think that potentially, and again, I don't have any inside information, but makes me think that from the standpoint of preparation and putting in the time and all that sort of stuff, he feels like he gets more out of Emory Jones than he does out of Anthony Richardson. And that gives him a better chance to win. Is that true or not? I don't know. But uh, at the end of the day, he's starting. Emory's starting. And, you know. Well, I do agree I, it, with you. I do, I do think he does feel that way. Well, so there you I'm go. Just asking, I mean, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just asking the question. Yeah. I mean, I'm giving you an answer, which is yeah. that, that Emory Jones has started every game this year except for the, except for the hardest game of the year. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he's played okay. And if he doesn't turn over the ball, he's actually played pretty well. Problem is it's been two turnovers a game pretty much every game so far. So if you get a clean game out of him against Missouri, you're going to have a shot to win. And I think that's what he's looking for. He's looking for the guy who's going to get him in the right looks, the guy who's going to get him in the right checks, the guy who's not going to play street ball out there. And Emory Jones is much more – consistent in terms of being able to stay within the offense. That's clearly something that Mullen has said multiple times this year. And, uh, you know, with, with that comes maybe some limitations, but at the same time, there comes a trust that what you, um, what you're teaching is going to be executed. And when it comes down to it, if you're trying to write a ship, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to do it with the people that you trust and the people that you've spent the most amount of time with. And that's Emory Jones when it comes to Dan Mullen. Yeah. The performances on the road are definitely something I think, yeah, uh, Emory Jones does seem like a much different quarterback <laughs> at, at home in the swamp and, and on the road from what we've seen versus Kentucky versus LSU versus uh, South Carolina just just a couple of weeks ago. So I I, I don't think you know cr- all the credit in the world for Emory Jones playing well Saturday versus Stanford did what he was supposed to do. Uh, that's not enough for me to sit here in a race um, the South Carolina game just a couple of weeks ago. But as you said, well, and I think we can put that. I think we can put that. You know, connect some of the dots there. There's two games left. If some of the reports out there, you know, our good buddy Neil Blackman uh, is out there with boosters and and people in the athletic department, his article saying it's a wait and see approach right now with Dan Mullen. Well, if Dan Mullen gets that vibe too, I do agree he is going to fall back with where he's comfortable. And I do think uh, I do think too, no matter South Carolina a couple of weeks ago, no matter the other road performances. I do agree that hey, I'm going to ride with this fourth year quarterback. Uh, if you know, if I if I want to be the the head coach at the University of Florida, that gives me the best chance to win. And I'm not saying I agree with that as the selection. Oh, I know, I know. Saying, I think I think I'm that's what saying, we're both saying. I understand, yeah. and and I and I think I I actually have some criticism for the the if if Neil's correct in terms of what he's saying. I think that's also sort of a poor decision-making process. Oh, if God, you, yes. at this point, at this, this point, at this point, you've either seen enough where you should say, yeah. you know, look, I'm going to dismiss this as a poor season, and regardless of how it ends, we're coming back uh-huh. next year and we're giving him a fifth year. Or you've seen enough, you don't like the culture, you don't like the way things are going, you don't like the recruiting, and it's time to make a change. But the idea that you're going to sit there and evaluate whether you should keep someone or not on the outcomes in the Missouri and the Florida State games, which, let's be honest, in the grand scheme of things, are pretty meaningless. And and from the standpoint of like you know who you really want to evaluate yourself against when you're a power when you want to be a power SEC team th- those aren't the two teams you evaluate yourself against so I just think it's a bad method of it's a bad process mm-hmm. for making decisions if you're going to make decisions on these last two games I can actually 
understand people who would say, let's give him a fifth year. I may not agree with it, but I can understand people who have that position. What I don't understand is people who say, well, let's wait and see how things turn out against Missouri. And then that'll color my decision. And let's see what, wait and see what happens against Florida state. And that'll color my decision. At the end of the day, we have enough data points at this point for you to make your argument, whether the team is seven and five or yeah, seven and five, six and six, or, 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 you know, what are, yeah, they're five and five right now. Right. So whether they're seven and five, six and six or, or five and seven, it doesn't really make a difference to me in terms of that decision. Now it makes a difference to me in terms of, I want them to be seven and five. Right. Right. But, but, and, and I'm never going to root against the team. And and if somebody told me that I have to root against the team in order to have a coaching change, I'm not going to do that at the same time. That that's one of the reasons why you don't want to make decisions on that because you do want the team to still still be successful. You want the players to accomplish things. You want them to go out confident that the um, you know that their performance doesn't necessarily have their coach's job on the line. That it's just their performance against Missouri, their performance against Florida State. Do your job, and at the end of the day, let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, I said that this morning too. I said if you, if you're in wait and see mode, you already have your answer. That that's how I see it. That, that's I, I completely agree. Uh, and you know, pretty, pretty passionate, um, discord. Um, if you haven't listened to it yet, you get a lot more fan perspective, uh, out there on the discord, uh, not discord, the, uh, Twitter spaces chat this morning, uh, out there on, uh, uh it's on the uh, podcast feed out there. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, if you haven't done so yet on YouTube and the podcast feed, uh, as well. So had to do some editing, Will. There was some, uh, some, <laughs> some, 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 some language the uh, TV station won't let me get away with there. So I had to, uh, if you were listening to it live, you got, you, you got the unedited version, but I had to, uh, had, had to do some, uh, had to do some magic there. Gators breakdown <laughs> after dark. That's what you get when you tune into this stuff live. <laughs> had to sign some kind of other contract there to get away with that one, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So we'll get into much more uh, Dan Mullen here um, and what he had to say today. Some big picture items, as you said, Will. We, we'll, we'll definitely expand it past Sanford and not so much Missouri look right now, but definitely more uh, big picture look uh, as Dan Mullen was asked about, you know, the job, uh, what it entails uh, right now uh, to finish out the season. But before we get there, from all the biggest games to the smallest events, make every bet worth your while at my bookie. Start by doubling your first deposit instantly with MyBookie's first deposit bonus. Double your money before you even place a bet. All you have to do is sign up and deposit using our exclusive promo, Gators, at MyBookie. There are tons of great games and prop bets to take advantage of this week, but let me point you in the right direction for your first wager. Get in next Sunday. Two powerhouse offenses, Kansas City Chiefs, take on the Dallas Cowboys, Tell you what, after yesterday, <laughs> might be a fun game. Dallas been on the tear lately uh, with their offense. Chiefs bounce back. It's going to be a good one. Go make your bet at my bookie. Don't wait any longer. Head to my bookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can get in on the game. Start winning big today. That's promo code Gators to receive double your first deposit instantly in your account. No hassle, no wait. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime at my bookie. All right, Will. So, pretty straightforward questions to Dan Mullen today, uh, and, and and him answering uh, a lot of it to to start with here. Uh, expectations and why he is the coach to fix currently where the University of Florida is. 
Do you feel like you're coaching for your job at this point? You know what? This is my 13th year as a head coach in the SEC. Uh, you know, on three, I, I mean, 365 days a year for all 13 years, you're you're under a certain pressure to perform. And I, to me, I, it's, this week's no different than last week or the week before, or five years ago or 10 years ago. Uh, I, I think you're just always that way. That's you're always expected to perform in this league. Why you believe you are the the person to fix the program and get it back to where it's contending for SEC titles? Well, I think our goal is to compete for SEC titles, right? That's what the program goal is every single year. Uh, I don't know. I've had a lot of success for 13 years as a head coach in this league. So, I mean, I won a lot of football games, know how to win football games. Uh, I love being the head coach of the Gators. We got great young guys that are going to willing to battle and fight, and no matter what the adversity is, uh, I don't know what else I got for you more than that. He loves being the coach at the University of Florida, Will. Uh, and Dan Mullen saying that right here. And right, you know, he, he's right. There is pressure of being the head coach at the University of Florida. You got people like us uh, critiquing you every week. So, <laughs> and many more out there, national media, a lot of Gator media out there. And look, we know with this, with, with this fan base and, 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 and such, there is a lot of pressure. Uh, but come on. The, the, the pressure is bigger now. We, we know that um, by all the reports that have been coming out the last couple of days, couple of weeks, it is bigger now. Uh, of course, the, the reports we've you, we mentioned throughout this episode of imminent of parting of ways, uh, as Pete Thamel said, or an admin and decision makers in wait and see mode. Uh, but Mullen, Mullen says it's just another week as the pressure is always there. Well, if that's the case, if, the, if that pressure is always there and it's 365, then, uh, well, I'll, I'll counter that just a little bit. The, the, why the up and down performance is so much? You know, why the play up to an opponent, down to an opponent? You know the pressure's there. You know, you have, you have to go in and, and, and play week in and week out and, and show up week in and week out. Um, this is the first time I think he's ever faced this type of pressure. I mean, at Mississippi State, yeah, there were some of the fan base not happy we we heard that when he was hired, but big picture, they were never getting rid of Dan Mullen, nor, nor should they have. Um, but there was, you know, some rumblings, some maybe media pointing it out, but different than what it is right now. The, the, a national media spotlight on you that that's not that's not at Mississippi State. A bigger media conglomerate just covering you locally on the local beat and. Podcasts like ours, you know, there's a, that that expanses and the Florida fan base uh, itself. And granted, a split fan base right now, but there is a lot more pressure. And you, you hear these rumblings a whole lot more. He had some down, terrible years at Mississippi State, but you never heard the talk on SEC Network of, oh, where really is it? Is it time to move on from Dan Mullen? You didn't hear Paul Feinbaum opening up a SC, one of his shows with, it's time to get rid of Dan Mullen. You get that at Florida now. There is more pressure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt there's more pressure, but I think um, that pressure is eased when you got a $12 million parachute on the backside. <laughs> if things don't work out, got to be honest, Dan Mullen and Dan Mullen's kids are never going to have to work again based on his time at the University of Florida, whether it works out this year or whether it doesn't work out this year. So, you know, his his pressure is a little bit different than other people's, and maybe he can put it in perspective, right? 13 years in the SEC means he's made an awful lot of money, and so – from the standpoint of the way most of us get nervous about, you know, I don't want to say something because I'll lose
lose my job or something like that. He has none of those concerns because he's got life-changing money. And congratulations to him for having life-changing money. But when it comes to the the answer today, yeah, it's a little bit disingenuous. What do you expect him to say? Yeah, I've oh, never yeah. been under this much pressure in my life. You know, I'm worried about my job. If I don't win these next two, that's it. I'm going to be thrown out. Like, he's not going to say anything like that. He's going to say, look, I'm dealing, uh, you know, when you're a football coach, you always deal with the pressure. And to be honest, the thing, I, the thing that I think he kind of missed an opportunity to say is like, look, we ask our players to focus and do their job on every play. And that's what I do as, as a head coach is I focus on what I can, I control what I can control. I focus on what I can focus on. And there's no reason to go outside of that and think about what's going on outside of it. You know, when we do our best, he, when we do I mean, our job, we're going past. to have, what was that? And he has said that in the past and yeah. some other ways. Yeah. I think that's a perfectly good answer. And I think that's probably what it is, right? There's look, the SEC is a crucible and everybody knows that. And, you know, nobody probably knew it better than Dan Mullen because Megan was already complaining about, you know, yeah. shopping in Orlando when he was the offensive coordinator here. And so even when things were going well, he was only here from 05 to 08. They won two national titles in that time. So even from, from 05 to 08, she was here in, criticism from people in town and so um you know they they were clearly aware that that was going to be something that came with the job so i don't think he's surprised about it and at the end of the day i think he sort of learned to deal with it and that's kind of where he's at all right there we go so now we'll go to the next uh i what i consider highlight of the press conference and being asked about leadership effort and you know kind of the, the no quit in the team so he was asked you know damian pierce uh, you, you would mention Will, but Damian Pierce and some of his comments after the game and um, about you know, just people at halftime, the team, the, the team themselves, kind of realizing what was going on and, and, and making some attitude adjustments, some attitude changes uh, there uh, at halftime versus Sanford. So Mullen was asked about the, the the leadership part of it, and he brought up a point. You know, he's while he's getting interviewed right before. You know, right after you're going into halftime and stuff, that he's not in to b- the beginning part uh, of halftime. It takes him um, some time to get to the locker room here. Uh, but we've heard some, uh, uh, some a couple of other players. I'll get into Mamoudi Abate and what Zach Carter had to say uh, as well about this. But then Muller was asked about the leadership of the team right now. There's a time in that game, and I talk to our guys about this. From everything that's gone on for our season and how we've been and how it's gone, and you're losing 42 to 28, you could have packed it in. Very easily packed it in, uh, you know, and probably a lot of people in the world would do that, you know, just like, it's just too much, like, just, I'm done. But the, the resolve our guys showed to just buckle down and, and really dominate from that point forward was pretty, was pretty impressive of the guys, and that, that doesn't happen without really good leadership, not just, not saying the coaches, leadership from within and the accountability, um, to themselves and their accountability to their teammates, uh, uh, a team. Well, we haven't seen much leadership this year. I, I, I don't think you, you, you spoke on it earlier and he's not wrong. All, all the credit goes, <laughs> uh, I, I can put it, you know, is there, should there have been a reason to get in people's faces and, and, and get to that point? Probably not. Uh, but, and look, admittedly, it is easier to, to flip the switch on Sanford. Uh, when you realize things aren't going right, you can flip the switch versus you, you can flip the switch versus them. Uh, it, it is different, um, but I guess the you know, the question kind of going to my point is that why why does it take until halftime to, to to flip the switch? We if if you've watched Gators break down for at least the last two years, you know about my whole 
getting off the fast starts in games and the defense being the main culprit of that, of, of not getting off the fast starts. And we saw it again in, a, in what we heard last week of you want, to, you, you want it to be different. You want to play for C. Rob. It's going to be different. There's some motivation there. It, it you know, didn't look didn't look like there's hardly any changes made, and it looked worse at times. Is kind of what we're uh, getting at too. So, you know, why does it take until halftime uh, to, to flip the switch? But you know, even Mamadi Abate said after the game on Saturday, nobody should have to come in at halftime, yell at everybody. Everybody should be ready as the game starts to take care of business. Agreed. And then today, Zach Carter. Because we were down at halftime to Sanford, which is unacceptable. I saw some guys getting in the guys' faces. And if it needs to go there, it can go there. So it's some realization, uh, I think, Will, but also got kind of a continuation for, for me. I go back to SEC Media Days, and we're talking to Dan Mullen, and there was a lot of, you know, this was with the, the, the phrase independent contractors uh, came up. And you know, I, I hope that's not the case again. Uh, here, but Mullen kept saying today and on Saturday, you got to quit looking at you, 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 and what do I need to do to to make this team better? Um, kind of contradicting there if you want to talk about independent contractors, but it's well, what can I do better before I ask somebody else what they have to do? That, that's the the the, word, the the way we were going with that. But I don't I don't know if I get the vibe of the independent contractors we got last year. I just think you know there are some flaws on, on defense. You got rid of who was leading the charge there. And now it's up to the players uh, to, to, to make a difference. As you said, this team is too talented on defense to give up 52 points uh, to Sanford. And maybe it was a wake-up call. Maybe too little, too late. I don't know. But at least there was the realization and at least there was the ability to flip the switch before the, the, the absolute worst happened. Yeah, I mean, I think there are two ways to look at this particular game. One is that you look at it and say, okay, it took you to the half to get on each other against Samford. Yeah, you were able to turn it around, but it's just Samford. And, you know, that's not really that impressive. And why didn't you do it against South Carolina the week before, right? Because you went to the half against South Carolina in the same situation, could have come out with some fire in that one and then just sort sort of laid down. Now, the optimist in me looks at it and says, the voices in the room, and in fact, Neil Blackman was talking about it being a very toxic culture under Todd Grantham, that the voices in the room between Grantham and between Hevesy may have been too loud and may have been drowning out some of those people who were trying to show some leadership, but then, you know, whether you'd get undermined or whether you weren't listened to or whatever, but now there's a void, right? There's a void in terms of the voices in the room. And maybe what happened at halftime was, is that some people started to fill that void and we won't know until they come out and play against Missouri, until they come out and play against Florida State, whether that's sort of a turning point or whether it's just it was Samford and Florida's more gifted. And so at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, Samford was going to get stopped a couple of times. At some point, Florida was going to be able to score, and then you end up with a 70-52 to win. So I don't know whether the 42-10 to run there after they got behind by two touchdowns is real. Or whether the the forty two to twenty eight, um, you know, being behind is real. And I think one of the things about twenty twenty one is that both of those have been real thus far, right? I mean, yeah. you look at it, you get you have one bad quarter against Alabama, and then three very good quarters. You have 
a bad special teams play and the offense doesn't show up, up against Kentucky. You have the defense can't get off the field in the second half against LSU. You've got all the turnovers against Georgia. So it's been one of those seasons where they've never been able to put everything together. Some of that comes from leadership. And that's maybe the good reading of everybody getting on each other in the locker room is if the dismissals of Grantham and the dismissal of Hevesy have sort of opened up that locker room to allow people to step up and be leaders, then maybe you see some, some benefits to that moving forward. And that first half was sort of an opportunity to see who was going to show up. And then some of those leaders to step up and call out those guys who didn't show up. And then in the second half, see who was going to step up and do their jobs. And so maybe that changes things, but that's, that's the most optimistic look I can have because otherwise I'm looking at it saying you get 52 points to Sanford. Yeah. What are you, what are you going to do in the next two games? Because I don't have a lot of confidence in who's going to show up. But again, I think that's one of the things that we'll be watching for in the game in particular against Missouri is does that leadership carry over? Do those same guys speak up before the game even starts? And does everybody go out there and do their job in the first quarter against Missouri? I think we'll know, you know, 18, 19 minutes into that game against Missouri, whether there really was some some taking hold of leadership at halftime there against Sanford or whether it's just a mirage because it was against Sanford. Yeah, and this week in practice too. Uh, you know, uh, you know M- Mullen has said we, that – Whatever that Monday through Friday team is, needs to show up on Saturday. Well, okay. Well, these leaders need to continue this Monday through Friday (laughs) this week as well uh, to make sure they're on that same page, uh, starting fast uh, on Saturday versus Missouri. Uh, Well, we don't go off the field too much as far as player stuff and and all that. A lot of our stuff, we try to focus on the field uh, a good bit, but the lightning rod topic of the celebration after the game that that, that goes out and the team dancing in the locker room and – um. Man, that was polarizing uh, topic there for, 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 for Gator Nation here. Here's Dan Mullenstalt uh, on it. He's asked about it and celebrating uh, the way that the team did after the game versus Sanford. I've never Vegas. won a game that wasn't worth celebrating, and I've never celebrated a loss. I've never celebrated what, what you, you guys call moral victories. I've never celebrated a moral victory. I've never danced or celebrated or cheered a loss, but I will never not celebrate a victory. And enjoy a victory, okay? And I don't. Hey, I, I, I'll give you this one. If we win three to two this week, we'll be dancing in that locker room, okay? We will be dancing in that locker room. And if we win seventy to fifty-two, we'll be dancing in that locker room and celebrating. Uh, I mean, it, it, it. We work way too hard. The players work way too hard. Uh, the game of football is something special. Uh, and I mean, I, I can maybe understand the people that aren't competitors or have never played football have under, would look at things possibly a certain way. But anybody that's ever played is you're never not going to celebrate a victory. There you go, Will. Pretty animated Dan Mullen there uh, for, for that. You could tell he was a little irritated uh, at that. Look, I, I didn't have much of an issue with it. I can see where people do. So I'll, I'll make that uh, point out there too. But I think also clearing it up from Dan Mullen's perspective, knowing how he is, that's the way he approaches it. That's the way he expects to celebrate victories. I mean, I understand it's going to rub some people the wrong way. I don't think Alabama's doing that. I don't think Georgia's doing that. I don't see them doing that. But we know Dan Mullen's going to do that. And as I've said plenty of times before, I commend guys for sticking to their guns. Uh, I also commend you for adaptability. And then big picture, that's what we're going to see if Dan Mullen can do or not. But in this aspect here – 
I kind of agree with him there. Um, college kids to be college kids when you can have fun, go have fun. Um, and he's right. You know, we're not the ones at five o'clock in the morning lifting weights. We're not the one running stadiums. We're not the one, you know, going out there day in and day out and blood, sweat and tears. So however they want to celebrate, you can go celebrate. But also at the same time, I think you can understand where the other side of it's coming from. Yeah, I mean it's it's part of reading the room, right? I mean you you, yeah. you can do that stuff in the locker room. It doesn't have to get leaked into <laughs> onto other people's social media accounts yeah. and different things like that. You could prevent it from from leaving the locker room and still have a good time and sort of pleases both masters. I think I'd be curious to see whether there were the same type of celebrations after the wins over FAU and the wins over USF. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't gone to look, but it would be interesting to know whether they celebrated those wins in the same way because those were probably a little bit less frustrating than the win over Sanford, but still a little bit frustrating. Did they celebrate those in the same way? Um, yeah, look, I, I think the players deserve to do whatever the players want to do, but I think there's a level of seriousness that comes with being a Division One football player and being a football player at, at the University of Florida, being a coach at the University of Florida. But we've seen that this is what Dan Mullen does. I mean, you know, I remember you and I got excoriated after that first spring game when, you yeah. know, the problem was he wasn't. I didn't think that he was taking that game seriously when he had a limited number of practices to, to build through and people didn't like that. Well, okay. I mean, look, we can agree to disagree on whether that was an okay thing, but I think that's the attitude that Mullen has brought and the attitude that he's carried throughout the program in the time that he's been here. His guys are going to have fun. And like you said back then, and we said it now we know. Yeah. Like that's the, that, that's the way it's going to be. Now we know. Yeah. And the question is, is that acceptable, right? And and um, not only is it acceptable, but is it the way to accomplish the things that you're trying to accomplish long-term? And again, I go back to process, right? That if you're dancing after a win over Samford, is your process set up appropriately? Because in my mind, your players probably shouldn't feel like dancing after a win over Sanford. I realize you got up at five in the morning. I realized that you did all that weightlifting and I realized I never played football, which he very, very clearly made, yeah. made point to, to call out those of us who are behind microphones and, you know, on our couches tweeting and that sort of stuff. And, and that we don't understand Hey, I'm the first to admit that I don't understand, but I also don't understand how you give up 52 points to Sanford. And so, you know, both of those things can be true again, you get to run your program the way you want to run it. We've been saying this basically now ever since things started to fall apart this year. Yeah. Is you you get to do things the way you want to do them. You get to say what you want to say in press conferences. You get to act the way you want to act and you get to run things, pick the starting quarterback you want to you want to have. You get to pick the defensive coordinator you want to have, all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, the results are the results. And if you win, everyone's going to call you a genius and everybody's going to love you. And if you lose, everyone's going to point to all those things that you did that were non- non-standard or non-normal compared to the guys out there who are winning constantly and you'll be you'll be ripped for that and that's really the thing right so go out and win against missouri win against florida state win a bowl game come back next year and put up 12 wins and everybody thinks you're great lose to missouri lose to florida state maybe you don't coach here anymore so you know the the reality is is that process means much more to me than than uh than this particular incident. And so that's what I would be looking for is let's go back. Did we have the same kind of celebration after the win against FAU? Did we have the same celebration after the win against USF? And 
you know, he can talk all he wants about moral victories, but he was he was taking some pretty hard moral victories after outgaining Kentucky in, in the game that they lost in that game. So um, that's not entirely accurate that that uh, you know moral victories aren't necessarily looked looked at as building blocks. And and I think they should be right. I think when you're a program that's trying to compare itself to somebody that when you come close, you look at it and say, Hey, that's not good enough, but these are the things we need to alter. And that's what Florida fans have really been frustrated at is that, you know, there are things that clearly need to change. One of them was a defensive coordinator. So we've gotten that change, but that has taken quite a while to get to. And then there are changes on the recruiting trail that need to take place. And those haven't necessarily taken hold yet. And so you look at that and say, look again, process matters more than the overall individual results. You show me the path to be able to get me to where you want to go and where you're saying you want to go. That Gator standard of national championships and SEC championships, you show fans the path to that and they will all buy in. The problem is, is you got to be able to show people the path. And this is part of that, right? Is that it's just, it, it seems to be out of lockstep with the path for other programs that get to that level. And I think, you know, rightly so would urban Meyer be dancing in the locker room after a narrow win against an FCS team when he was at Florida? The answer is no. Would Steve Spurrier, I think he'd come out and rip his team and, and, you know, sort of make fun of them and all sorts of stuff for this sort of stuff. And, and it's just different. Right. And Mullen's either going to hang himself by being different or he's going to win over a lot of fans by being different once he's able to accomplish the goals. But as of right now, there's not a clear path to where those goals are and and where we want to be and where we presume he wants to be as well. Well, it goes back to a conversation you and I I had yesterday, I think, and has Dan Mullen lost the locker room? And I think this is one example of not. I mean, I. And we'll, uh, I'll explain why. I know a lot of people will say there's not a lot of effort. There's quit on this team. Uh, has he lost the locker room? I've always, and, and, and well, not always, when I thought about it, I was like, no, it's probably for me more about the approach. And this can be part of the approach uh, for, for, for Dan Mullen uh, of the maybe, you know, the up and down performances and not taking each opponent uh, at the same level each and every week. And maybe I think that's part of the approach. And uh, I, I agree. I don't think Dan Mullen's lost a locker room. It's just his approach, I think, has trickled down, uh, trickled down to the players uh, just a bit. So showing up every week and ready to play and showing up when the first quarter and the clock is 15s and you're not ready to go and you get off to a slow start. I mean, it's just – I think you know, part of the approach of here of, uh, of the, this is one more example of that. I think I don't think he's lost a locker room. I think that locker room celebration shows a part of that, but that could show some issues with the approach. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I, I think it's reading a lot into one particular locker room celebration. <laughs> any of the things I've said, and any of the things you've said tonight, I, I think. But again, it comes back to reading the room, which really is Mullen's, Mullen's biggest biggest shortcoming. Is just it, he doesn't seem to understand the way the things that he says are perceived by people who look at the program and are just looking for something to hang on to from a hope perspective, right? And you know when he was able to win 10 games or 11 games with subpar recruiting, recruiting wasn't a big deal, but the minute you end up, you know, four and five and getting demolished by Georgia recruiting becomes a really big deal to people because if you're not winning those games, then what am I clinging on to as hope to be able to move forward into, into next year and the year after and the year after instead, I'm just sitting there looking at the behemoths at Alabama and Georgia and saying, geez, like what's it going to take to get there? And then the natural conclusion is, well, it's not this guy. And that's where he's, that's where he's fallen, right? Is that you're sitting there looking at it and saying, 
the the path and the vision that's being cast by the leader of the program has many people in the fan base going, I don't buy it. And so they project that onto the players, which is the, you know, the vision that's being cast by the head guy isn't being bought in on by the players. And I got to be honest, people with that opinion, after watching the game against South Carolina, I can understand why they would have that opinion watching the first half against Sanford. I would understand why they have that opinion. And so I, I think the jury's still out. I, I don't know, right. It's, it's easy to, it's easy to celebrate when you have a win and everything's great, right? When you get a win, everybody's happy. And certainly to sort of be able to exhale at the end of that one and say, we didn't, we don't have to deal with our fans yelling at us about losing to Samford is um, there is, I'm sure there was relief and a little bit of an exhale there at the end of that game. You know, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think one of the things we saw against Georgia is when things started to go bad, things fell apart. We saw that against Kentucky when things started to go bad, things fell apart. We even saw that earlier in the year against FAU and USF when Emory Jones threw a couple of interceptions. It felt like everything sort of stagnated on the offensive side of the ball. So we'll see. They're going to come up against some adversity against Missouri. They're going to come up against some adversity against Florida State. And that's really going to be the test. I mean, the test is going to be when you come up against a team that is at least – on par with you from a record perspective and they're not going to be surprised by your speed and you're not just physically dominant. What are you going to do when you run into some adversity? Are you going to run through that wall? Or are you going to try to go around it? And, and the question, and that that's a direct reflection on, on, on Dan Mullen and what he's taught these guys and the values that he's instilled in them. And, you know, if you run through that wall, then, Hey, that's great. Obviously, you know, at that point he's proven that he hasn't lost the team. And that's great. If you go around that wall, well, then all of a sudden the counter's going for a touchdown and we're back to where we were two or three weeks ago. And, you know, that's what we'll see over the next couple of weeks. All right. Good there stuff uh, from, you know, Dan Mullen's comments today. So you can check out the rest of the press conference. There's some more there, but that's uh, you know, the gist of it uh, from my perspective there of what we're going to discuss here on Gators Breakdown. So, yeah, as I said, I'll get into some of your tweets today. A lot of conversation on, on both sides of uh, the Dan Mullen debate, whether, you know, you believe he should still be head coach at Florida or, you know, it's time for Florida uh, to move on here. So, you know, just, and Will, a lot of the conversation was coming, you know, it really boils down to if you really think Dan Mullen deserves a chance to turn it around. Uh, so looking at both sides uh, here, I, I'll share some tweets uh, from Air Florida Jordan. Uh, he says, from a distance record-wise and based on what we did the first three years, you'd say yes. But if you look a little more closely at how we arrived here, all that has happened this season and the trends, the answer is no. Dan did this to himself. Um, so you know, one way to uh, – a great way you know, to look at it there. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, if you, if you zoom out and look at, you know, the first three years, you'd say, yeah, he deserves a chance uh, to turn it around. But kind of where I, I just started leaning, uh, you know, as of last week with the performance versus South Carolina, this is the trend and the hope or lack of hope because of the recruiting. Yeah. I mean, that's at the end of the day that the recruiting is, is the killer argument for, I think a vast majority of the people here is you look at it and you say, look, we can deal with a five and five season or even a five and seven season. If there's hope on the horizon and if Anthony Richardson's out there starting to get reps, but you know, again, this goes back to process, right? I think Emory Jones is the better, is the better guy to probably get Mullen the win the next couple of weeks. But I think Anthony Richardson is the guy that everybody's been saying, look, 2022 
is where we need to plan for. And the fact that the fact that we're not planning for that is bothersome. And that sort of flies, you know, that sort of goes towards recruiting and goes towards that comment about doing it to himself, right? That, that, that is the criticism. The criticism is, is that we want a long-term sustainable, successful program, not a flash in the pan one year and then struggles the next. And so how do you build that? How do you put that together? And the answer is we all kind of know. And as of right now, that's not being executed from a long-term perspective of Florida. All right, here uh, a few more. Uh, let's see, let me get the whole name here. Anthony Lipsy on Twitter says he goes, "I'm so torn." The Dan Mullen supporter in me says, "Let's see what he can do in these rough waters." The fan in me says, "It feels like a the feels like sinking is inevitable, and we need a new captain and boat." I really don't know. Um, you get a lot of that too. Uh, and like I said, that was pretty much me for <laughs> a couple weeks ago uh, there, but teetering one way now. Um, let's see. Uh, J Win J Win B nineteen eighty four says, "Winning mask over the flaws of a program." Yesterday's McElwain and his strength and conditioning program is today's Coach Dan Mullen's pressure presser antics and recruiting. Once the veil is removed, there's no turning back. He has to go. So, <laughs> well, they're equaling McElwain's strength and conditioning program to. Today's Dan Mullen's presser antics and recruiting uh, is there. Linda Featherstone says, if he makes changes, hire an offensive coordinator so he can be the head coach. Hire good coaches and recruiters, et cetera. Uh, that is definitely it. If that is the path and Dan Mullen's still here. Um, Will, do you see the need of being more the CEO head coach? Do you still think Dan Mullen should be involved calling plays? I know that's a big part. Uh, of it i saw it out there too um somebody tweeted it i don't know who it was um and it's like if you go and look at national championship winning coaches which ones um which which one of them are calling their own plays whether it be offense or defense which ones are actually you know calling the plays in and out of the games and i'm like well i don't know if that makes that big of a difference but and maybe it's connecting too many dots but I think there is a point to be made, you know, do you have to be the CEO head coach type uh, and not necessarily, you know, being a head coach that caters to one side of the ball and calling plays? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that's always been a criticism of Andy Reid, especially when he was with with the Eagles. Now, he'd have offensive coordinators, but we sort of knew that those weren't the guys driving things. I think the enemy there at Kansas City is somebody who drives things there, and I think that's helped, right? I mean, obviously, Reed's won a Super Bowl there at Kansas City where he wasn't able to win one when he was in Philadelphia. I think, you know, you could make that argument, but, I mean, who was the offensive coordinator for the Spurrier teams back in the 90s? I mean, that was Spurrier's offense. Did they have offensive coordinators for those teams? I don't even remember. Um, At the end of the day, I don't think anybody would have said he was the CEO of the team. In fact, I think the criticism would have been that he was offensively focused, and it wasn't until he brought in Bob Stoops that the team was able to really get over the hump and get the job done there in 96. I don't think that's necessarily an accurate portrayal. I think so was Florida State teams were pretty awesome. And so him losing to those teams wasn't necessarily – There you go. I think that was the only recent one is Jimbo at FSU. Yeah, I mean, so being the play caller and head coach. Yeah, the other thing is, I think if you're talking national championship coaches, you really got to sort of, you do have to take into account that Saban's won seven in his 26 seasons. 
yeah. then you got Dabo's one, two, you've got Urban Meyer one, three, you've got Pete Carroll one, two, you've got Bobby Bowden one, two, Joe Paterno and Dennis Erickson one, two, and then everybody else won one. So from the standpoint of like looking at what a championship profile looks like, um, I think you're probably better off looking at like SEC championship profiles, knowing yeah. what that means at this point. So, you know, they're Spurrier one, six, Dooley one, three, die one, four majors, one, three, Saban's got nine. Um, you know, so, and, and Meyer only has two And now granted that was in six seasons, but Meyer only has two. So, you know, again, I think Meyer, even though the spread was his offense, always had Dan Mullen by his side as an offensive coordinator. I think mm-hmm. Nick Saban clearly has sort of, you know, even revamped the offense. So there was a really interesting article on ESPN earlier this year talking about how he and Lane Kiffin learned concepts of the spread that they then built into the Alabama offense. Ed Orgeron obviously famously brings in Joe Brady and turns everything around there. Um, you know, and, and Dabo had well, does have somebody like Saban, who's a defensive coach. He had the defensive coordinator Kirby Smart with him. Yeah, and then you know, how many times did we hear, "All oh, right, that's Nick Saban's defense. That's like Kirby Smart's defense." Okay, well, I think we're learning now. It's probably a bit of both. <laughs> well, and we've heard nothing other than Brian Johnson was a real advocate for these guys and a real difference maker, and made a big difference when it came to the relationships there. And so, um, yep. I, I think there's value in having an offensive coordinator, if nothing else, because the guy who's gonna who's going to at least bounce plays off the head coach is somebody you can play good cop, bad cop, right? There's one guy gets mad at you and the other guy can sort of come in and give you a pat on the back. And, and there, there's value in that. So, yeah, I mean, I you think that what? would be useful. That, that should not be overlooked. That was definitely in the more I've, I've, I've kind of asked around about that too. That was definitely part of their relationship there. That was somebody who would speak up and go against the grain a little bit. Yeah. Well, and that's important. So I, I think, look, yes, I absolutely think Mullen needs to be more of a CEO. I absolutely think that he needs to delegate things. I think that the the program needs to spend more money on recruiting. I think there's a lot of things that need to change and mm-hmm. a lot of things that need to be overhauled. This is not a, we, we're going to change the defensive coordinator and everything's going to be better. Right. I do think though, that changing the defensive coordinator is going to make things good. The question is, is that good enough? And I think that's where everybody is sort of getting hung up, right? That's why there are two sides to this argument. If this was, um, if this was McIlwain, you look at it and go, look, the recruiting's headed in the wrong direction. The offense can't score and he's an offensive coach and the defense is all of a sudden losing all of its good players and everything falls apart. That makes sense then after the third year and then the death threats, <laughs> that makes sense that third year getting rid of McIlwain. Same thing with Muschamp, though there the defenses were very good and it was the offense that you couldn't necessarily get on track. Um, but with Mullen, you've got the offense really playing pretty well. Even this year, the yeah. offense has been inconsistent, but it's played pretty well. I mean, you're still scoring 30 points a game. And then the defense just has been wildly inconsistent and haven't necessarily been able to get anything going on that side of the ball. Um, some of that is his doing by having Todd Grantham in there, but I understand why someone would say, just get in somebody who takes care of that side of the ball, allow Mullen to be the offensive coordinator and go. That may be the way you need to do it. So when you ask me, does he need to be more of a CEO? I don't know. Does he just need to delegate the defensive responsibilities to somebody else and then focus on the offense to really get the job done? Again, I think it sort of goes back to process, which is that the right way to build a program is to recruit, 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 but, if you're fighting for your job, whether it's the last two games this year or next year, 
you're not necessarily worried about recruiting at that point. Like you got to get it done with the guys you got right now. And unless there's some five-star kid who's going to come in and absolutely, um, you know, juice your offense or juice your defense that you have to focus on from a recruiting perspective, the guys who come in in that 2022 class are going to be minimally, um, you know, they're not going to make a huge impact. And so um, for, I, I think the decision-making process for Mullen is probably going to be different than the decision-making process we would like to see. All right, a few more here. Uh, Kayvon628, I really want Dan to have one more year because of his offense, but he has to hit on defensive coordinator. No second-tier coach trying to make it. I need a defensive coordinator that can recruit. If he does, I'm okay with one more year. Uh, Positive Gator says I think he does, uh, assuming he hires a great D.C. and offensive line coach because Mullen has a proven track record of developing quarterbacks, and we have extremely talented uh, quarterback. Of course, he should have fired Grantham last year, but that's water under the bridge. Uh, Wallaby15 says, remember how it was before. No offense. No excitement. Yes, Mullen needs to do better, but he's had one bad year. He deserves a chance to fix it. The other side of the table, who are you going to get to replace uh, Mullen? Uh, I'll get there if the, if, a, uh, if a move is made. Uh, still, I will say, you don't keep that from making a move. I, I don't really get that argument. Uh, you, who are you going to get? That's not uh, an argument not to get rid of somebody. If you believe the time is uh, – if you believe uh, a move should be made. Um, also got to move on to – well, I said that going into this season anyway, Will. I didn't know how the season was even going to play out. But my one of my themes for this year was it's time to move on from it's better than it was before. That's also – I mean, that's – you know, that's, that's, that's playing scared uh, in, in, in my book. Um also, the argument he's had one bad year. Eh, no, sorry. I weigh the collapse at the end of 2020 pretty heavy, too. Uh, and that's, I mean, eight and four is not a great year. Yeah, you were in Atlanta. Yeah, you beat Georgia, but grand scheme of things, the way 2020 ended, you know, I, I'm, I might put that as an average season now. So this is about a, almost a season and a half for me, honestly, when, when, when I look at it. And then adding yeah. recruiting, that's, that's kind of where I uh, I lean towards, uh, you know, it's time to move on. No, I get what you're saying. And, and I mean, look, I, I was putting something together a couple of weeks ago on the Gator Standard and started looking through the finishes of different coaches. And I got to tell you, Steve Spurrier was unbelievable in terms of how he did in the, in the SEC for his, what, 11 years there. Um, Urban Meyer had some ups and downs. I mean, it's interesting. When you look at it, in 2005, the Gators were sixth in the SEC from a record perspective. 2007, they were fifth. And two, 2010, they were seventh. So he averaged a th- uh, an SEC finished at 3.7, even though he won it twice. So very much up, very much down. Spurrier was up all the time. I mean, obviously won the four straight from 93 to 96, won one in 2000, but he was basically second or third the entire time. He was always up there competing for that SEC title the entire time. You look at Ron Zook, he was third, fifth, and fifth, and that was enough to get him out, so an average of 4.3. Muschamp, seventh, third, tenth, and seventh. I think clearly you look at that and say Florida shouldn't be seventh three years out of four when it comes to the SEC. McIlwain actually second, second, and then 11th. So he has that one bad year. Everything falls apart in 2017. And now Mullen, fourth, third, second, and 12th. And so if you look at the average finishes in the SEC, Mullen is going to end up somewhere. So they're 12th right now in the SEC. Mullen's going to end up somewhere around that Zook-McIlwain 
range. Now, granted, he's had an extra season. And if you'd taken the average before this season, it would have been higher than that. Would have been right around Urban Meyer, but it didn't have the highs and didn't have the lows. And now we've gotten the lows. The question is, does he have the high, right? Does he have that ceiling? And that's where the recruiting comes in, is that I think a a large portion of people, and I think rightly so, believe that those highs are going to be very difficult to achieve based on the level of recruit who's coming in and the, um, the sort of bubble that's burst in terms of Mullen's ability to, to develop players who have lesser pedigrees into guys who can compete with those, with the big boys who are out there recruiting. So, um, you know, I get it, man. I understand exactly where you're coming from. I think the, um, the, the danger to me is if you get the danger to me, isn't that the team's going to get better next year. I think the team will be way better next year. Mm-hmm. If, if they it. keep pulling in, I think, the, I think the danger is, is that you're, um, you know, can you get rid of a guy who goes nine and three or 10 and two next year? If you look at it and have all the same systemic problems where you look at it and say the defense was much better, the offense was pretty good. Um, You know, we went 10 and two, but we lost to Georgia and we lost some other game we shouldn't have lost and didn't make the SEC championship game because that a successful 2022. That's sort of the thing is I think fans who will buy into Mullen in 2022 are going to want to know SEC championship or bust. Like that's what a successful season is. And the problem is they won't get that right. That that's not the commitment they're going to get to 2022. And it's going to end up being one of these Mike White arguments, right? Where you start looking at, well, you know, he made the tournament again this year. And you've got one sub-segment of people saying, look, you can't expect him to be as good as Billy Donovan. And then you got another subset of people saying, well, that's what Billy Donovan built. That's the standard. That's what we need to have in here. And that's kind of where Mullen is. is he sit, he's a very good football coach who has some deficiencies. And unless he can fix those deficiencies, um, it's going to be difficult to get to the standard that was set by even Urban Meyer, but even – you know, even better standard really set by Steve Spurrier. All right. Last three right here. Uh, Callie Gator 13 says the people that want to give Dan a chance are the people who have coaching PTSD. They can swear up and down. They don't, but that's the only answer. You don't build a champion with fear or failure. Stop being scared. Let Dan go. He ain't it. Tim McDaniel says it depends on the expectations stated in his hiring. If he was charged with improving in straight in a straight line in four years to SEC dominance, then sure, fire him. However, if he's allowed to reconfigure staff for another shot at improvement, probably deserves a short lease shot at it. And last one here of uh, Samuel the Fish. Uh, I want Dan to be the man, and personally, I like the guy. No one wants to fail. But this season, we've crossed the threshold of reasonable likelihood of him being able to fix it. Not impossible, but less probable than the gamble of a change. Sucks for everyone. So, <laughs> uh, last three are really, really good. Uh, Agreed. I mean, yes, yes, yes. Um, absolutely. You know, I, I wish we weren't having this conversation. I wish we were sitting here uh, November 15th getting ready for an SSC championship game in a couple of weeks, but that's not the reality of it. Uh, so, you know, I think that the, the, all these questions are fair. Uh, if you think Dan Mullen should continue leading the Florida program uh, and on both sides of the debate, if he – you know, if he deserves a, a chance to to fix this, or uh, has already moved on uh, from you there, so good sides of the debate there, both sides of the debate there. Everybody, thanks for uh, all the interaction on Twitter, sharing your tweets here on Gators Breakdown. But Will, there we go, a little over an hour. Didn't mean to keep you too too too, too much longer, but <laughs> uh, some good stuff there. Like you said, never a dull moment, man. So it's. Yeah. Uh... it's an interesting debate. I mean, it really is. It's funny coming into this year. um, One of the big things that I kept saying is, is that this is a, 
uh, it's an interesting experiment. Mullen has been betting on his ability to coach um, and find a quarterback who's going to be able to lead his system and be able to, um, you know, sort of circumvent some of the traditional ways of winning and things have fallen apart this year. And when, when things fall apart, that's when everybody starts evaluating the things that you allowed to skirt by at 10 and three and 11 and two, no longer allowed to skirt by at five and five. And, and so, you know, I think the, the tweet earlier you read that he's done it to himself is true, right? There are, there are standard ways to run a program. He's decided to run this program substandard or, not substandard. He's decided to run this program in a way that's an alternative to the standard way that people have built programs. And so, uh, you know, it was an experiment. I think this year we've seen the experiments hit a hiccup and whether that means the experiments over or whether that means you give him an extra year, I think there's some healthy debate on either side. I think you and I both come down on the side of it probably makes sense to make a change, but I think we both understand why people would be strongly in favor of the other side. Uh, mm-hmm. The only one, the only one I don't get are the people who are still on the fence. Like I get it. If you feel strongly one way or you feel strongly the other, if you're straddling the fence, what, what are you waiting for? You only got two more games or three more games this year to make that evaluation. I don't know that that should necessarily change your point of view. Agreed. Agreed there. So look, whatever decisions made, I hope it's the right one. And I hope, you know, if he, if he stays, I hope he's ho- hoisting trophies in the next few, few years. And if it's time to move on, we'll get the next guy here and hopefully he's, hoisting trophies uh, <laughs> uh, coming up soon. But still a couple weeks to figure all this out. Uh, we'll see uh, what these next couple games hold. You know, um, we'll, uh, this, this, this will be the last time we have the conversation, Will. So <laughs> we'll uh, uh, lot, plenty, plenty more to discuss on that front. And who knows how we'll be discussing it next Monday. But after uh, you know, Florida heads to Columbia and take on Missouri. Yeah, man. Hopefully we're discussing it after a win. That's all I can ask. Yes. Hopefully it's after yep. a win. All right, Will Miles, find him on his site, readreaction.com, on Twitter, at we re, um, at Will Miles SEC. Stand up and holler, Will. That's uh, Read Reaction YouTube there. So, um, as you said, no no post-game Sanford coverage, but there's, there's your post-game Sanford coverage right there on YouTube, right? Yep, absolutely. So we had some discussions, some similar stuff to today, but some different stuff as well, um, and uh, a little bit more talking about some of the potential replacements that are out there for the different open coaching jobs this year. I know people ask me, I've I've said it plenty of times. I have a, I have an internal rule. I don't discuss, I don't discuss candidates until a move happens. So you can get mad at me all you want. I ain't changing for you. Uh, That's just, it's my, it's my internal rule for people. And I I don't blame other people for doing it, but I'm just letting it know out there. Quit, quit tweeting me about it. Quit messaging me. I, I, you know, you you now know my rule. So you now know why I won't respond about it. I'll tell you what, if you want the names, just look in the YouTube comments. That's been the whole conversation yeah, exactly. the, whole, the making, whole time we've been on. You're, you're making my list for me out there, everybody. So there we go. I just, I'll just have to do the research now. But uh, that's just uh, that's just the way I do it. So, all right. Find Will there, readmereaction.com, and on YouTube uh, as well. I'm the host of Gator's Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gator's Breakdown.